0: Welcome to Little Detours with Regina Brett, where we help you create a life you love out of the life you have. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Regina Brett. Glenn Proctor has packed more lives into one life than anyone I know. A foster child at three, he helped his grandmother carry home the government cheese. As a teenager, they told Glenn to get a job in a mill or join the military. So he joined the Marine Corps. He served six years on active duty. He survived a tour of duty in Vietnam and went on to survive alcoholism, cancer, and two divorces. Glenn spent four decades as a working journalist. I met him at the Akron Beacon Journal, where he helped the paper win a Pulitzer Prize during the Goodyear takeover attempt in 1986. When he retired from journalism in 2011, he was executive editor and vice president of the Richmond Times-Dispatch. He then founded Red Job Coaching and Training, and also became a suicide prevention instructor, and grief support counselor. He joins us to talk about how to be resilient no matter what life hands you. Glenn, thanks for joining us today from Charlotte.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Regina, for having me.
0: Well, I gotta tell you, Glenn, when I worked with you, you were really great at what you did, but you just had such a kind heart. And yet I knew that if I needed anybody to have my back, you were the guy. Like I don't know if it was that Marine Corps in you, but you just always were like watching out for people.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I think that's why the good brother put me here.
0: You know, I like that you call the good brother capital G capital B. But you were always looking out for people. Even as a kid, you were like giving advice and kind of telling people how to how to fix their lives.
1: Were you just born that way? I think I I was. I mean, my grandmother was a very kind lady, but my aunt Elsie was the drill instructor of the family, and uh, I kind <laughs> I kind of learned from her. I mean, she had empathy on one hand. But she also, uh, if she cuts her her eyes at you, you were in big trouble.
0: I love that you call her a drill instructor. (laughs) So you grew up poor and your grandparents raised you, is that correct?
1: Yes. And from
0: like your earliest memories, it was with grandma and grandpa?
1: Well, some of the years as a foster kid, I remember a few things, but I I think I try to push that one away as much as possible. But yes, yes, you know. And even when I was with the grandparents, they were older at the time. And even then I got shuffled around. A couple of times they were sick and I would have to, you know, move with a knot for a semester or two or else in another part of Pennsylvania. So,
0: Glenn, as a child, how did you kind of get through all that? Was there anything that kind of guided you or gave you hope through that kind of
1: tumultuous? Well, like I tell folks, I started writing poetry at eight. I didn't know it was poetry and maybe it wasn't, but, <laughs> but to this day, I'll, I'll count it as poetry and, you know, and other people thought it was as well. And uh, when I started writing things, when I was eight, you know, about my foster kid situation, as well as stuff about the grandparents and, and just kind of growing up and, um, you know, and that was, that was, well, that was the start of my writing, but that was also, what kind of kept me, uh, kept me together. It's interesting
0: writing. It kind of kept me uh, together too as a kid. I kept the diary in it, like all the pain in me, I just had somewhere to go. And, and I yep. think it, it gives you um, like a lifeline. Exactly. So then you're in high school and you ended up joining the Marine Corps. What was it like when you made that decision?
1: Uh, well, Marines are, you know, the toughest and I knew basic training was going to you know, either make me or break me, and uh, so I talked to the recruiter, and I liked the way he sounded, and, and of course, you never know until you get to Paris Island what it is really like, and uh, it's the shock of your life.
0: And back then, it was a lot tougher. I think it's gotten a little—not I don't want to say softer—but the the, uh, the story was always: you go down to the Marine Corps. You get off the bus and a drill instructor slugs somebody as soon as they get off the bus. I don't know. Was it that tough? Was it that harsh?
1: Yes. Oh my Every bit you heard.
0: So why did you pick the hardest branch, the toughest branch of the
1: military? Why not? Ego. You know, young kid that think I'm invincible. Of course, you know, and I love the uniform. What does that mean? People say I love the uniform. What does that really mean? Well, because the Marine Corps uniform once you become a NCO, a corporal or above, you wear on your you know your blue your blue trousers you wear a red blood stripe, and that that's in honor of all the uh, Marines that have passed and come before us. I just love the uniform, and I love just every every you know button in place and every shoe shined, and I mean just how well, as we learned later, you know how squared away they were. Right. And I wanted to be one of them. So what do you think the greatest lesson they taught you was? That I can do. Belief, absolute belief. And I think as in a note I sent to you is that I call on that every day, you know, and especially as I'm teaching some, you know, mental health or suicide prevention classes and the empathy part, helping folks, but also just uh, how tough giving those classes and talking to folks about, you know, suicide um, can be. I mean, I work with two mothers, um, another Kent grad who lost her son, you know, on his first day of college. And, And another mother who lost her son to suicide. And then since then, I've met a couple other mothers who, lost sons and and talk to them. And right now I'm real close to a mother whose six-year-old attempted suicide twice. It's six years old? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. That's so yes. scary and so, heartbreaking. I know. I know. You know, and that's why, you know, when you were asking me about, we'll talk about this, I know, but the whole self-care scenario, you know, those of us who do this or even those of us who coach, um, we're going to get into the hardest part of people's lives, and so what do we do to take care of ourselves as we're trying to help and support them?
0: So all that Marine Corps boot camp and experience really fortifies you for a lifetime. It sounds like yep. absolutely, absolutely. And then you also end up going to Vietnam. Now I don't know how long you served in Vietnam. How many? How just many, how a year, long? just a tour, just thirteen months. So the Glenn Proctor that went into Vietnam and the Glenn Proctor that came out of Vietnam, can you paint a picture? Was there much of a change in who you were?
1: Well, I uh, I was a bottle drunk. I was a big time bottle drunk. I was angry for a lot of years. But I also knew that deep down in the other side of me that based on that, that I could probably deal with anything. If you're honest with yourself, you're you're a bit warped.
0: You already started off with really a rough life, childhood-wise, foster home, in and out of relatives. You go to the Marine Corps, you go to Vietnam. How do you kind of pull together who you want Glenn Proctor to be? It, it seems like it, almost like there's so many different pieces that kind of got shattered along the way or, or scattered, maybe.
1: Well, and I tell, you know, and this sounds so simplistic, but, you know, I do, you know, part of my self-care and part of it's always been is just talking to self, you know, just talking, having deep conversations with self. And, you know, and I've learned that over the years about full transparency. I mean, in my writing classes or in my workshops, it's full transparency. I mean, I tell. You know, I tell people, you're not going to be able to write an expose about me because it's out there. <laughs> you know? So it's like it you,
0: you tell if you own your own stuff, it doesn't matter when anybody else writes about you.
1: Exactly. So you know, and it was difficult for a while. And throughout my journalism career, I mean, when I got to the beak, I mean, I was still drinking like crazy, and that was part of my turnaround. You know, in '84, I went to to rehab for. Thirty days. That changed a lot of things, but still the residual was there for a couple of years, and then probably you know about the same time that I got to to the business desk, and you know maybe a little bit before. But then, and I appreciated the camaraderie there, and then of course we won we won the big one, and I got promoted, and and then my career kind of jump started from there. You know oh. after it had nosedived because. In 79, I was an assistant managing editor of a paper at the Quad City Times in Iowa. I mean, I had gotten promoted that much and got demoted twice because of drinking. Sure.
0: So, Glenn, I want to go back just for a minute. So did the drinking start before you went to Vietnam? Or oh, yeah. Okay. So,
1: 12. What's that? I started at 12.
0: You started drinking at 12?
1: Yes. Wow. Do you remember that first drink? Uh, no. No. It started out with beer and wine, and then I was drinking hard liquor probably by the time I was 13 or 14.
0: So what made you want to quit? What was the turning
1: point? Like they say, keep well, That's interesting. Um, and I don't know his, I don't remember his last name, but he was also, you know, a Marine. And also a Vietnam vet who had become a alcohol counselor in Akron. And I went to him a couple of times as part of my treatment, and he kept telling me in marine Corps terms excl- you know expletives, many of them <laughs> that you're going to die in a blank blank ditch and he kept telling me that over and over and over again and um at the time I was a single parent, I had custody of my two oldest kids, but i was I was off the rails I was way off the rails, and so you know, one day I didn't go to work. I didn't come to work at the beak, and because I was off on a, on a on a bender, and uh, got home, and um, there was a person that came in, and so she kind of took care of the kids, you know, because I was you know working nights and uh, you know like we did all kinds of shifts and uh, yeah, yeah. tried to get to sleep. I couldn't, and so I called Paul and I said, "We got to do something," and he said, "Pack a bag and I'll be there in an hour." And he came and took me to, uh, There was uh, an alcohol facility at Lorraine Memorial Hospital. And that's where we went. And that's where I spent 30 days. And that's been 36 years ago.
0: Well, congratulations. That's a long dry spell, as they say.
1: (laughs) Yes, thank you.
0: So when you quit drinking, it isn't just everything gets better. You also then, the pain that you're probably trying to drink away, you got to
1: deal with. Uh, yes, that's true.
0: What's it like when you put down the bottle and then, then you got the stuff from your child, you got stuff from Vietnam, you got stuff
1: from everything. It's one thing that, you know, they talk about in treatment and in AA to some degree is stinking thinking. You're still having crazy thoughts and you're still fighting that residual, you know, to some degree. But over time that, uh, you know, as you start to get yourself and continue to talk to folks, you know, you kind of come out of that.
0: Before we leave your, your Marine Corps duty and your time in Vietnam, did you have to deal with a lot of post-traumatic stress and, and real leftovers from the war? I, I know that in the time you were in, number one, the country was not kind to the veterans return home. And also as a Black man, in the, in the service, I don't know how you retreated back then. I can't imagine.
1: Well, it was interesting that because it wasn't that many years after that I became a journalist. So, and that kind of became my focus. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I started my career at the Daily Local News in Westchester, Pennsylvania, with the famed Dave Barry as my deskmate.
0: The comedy, uh, the humor, yep. right?
1: Oh, goodness <laughs> yeah I was there a year and he he came in and we sat side by side How funny so why'd you get journalism done why'd you go into that uh that's interesting I was at a crime scene in the town where my grandparents lived and there was a a shootout between a bunch of black men and uh, a motorcycle gang and throughout this whole thing that of course, took place over a period of of hours, probably twelve, fifteen hours, and you know, state police and all these people came. But my whole thing was, and that that was when I was between my first tour of, of the Marines and becoming a journalist, but I was watching the reporters. Because, you know, they had all kind of reporters from Philly AP and, you know, and and this paper where I started, a bunch of other you know, news stations and I was watching these folks. I'm like, that's kind of cool what they're doing. So I got guy's name, Bob Shoemaker, one of my first editors, who was happened to be covering this event that day. And I ended up getting his name and calling him probably, I don't know, you know, a month later. And I said, I want to come and talk to you. And he said, Okay. So we did. And he invited me in for an interview at the Daily Local News in Westchester, Pennsylvania. And of course, I didn't have any clips. I had poetry. And so I cobbled together my, my little loose leaf binder with yellow poetry, you know, poems, and uh, took those in. And it was enough to impress him, Ken Lockerbie, Bill Dean, my first three editors. And they hired me.
0: I love that you walked in with poetry, and you didn't have a journalism degree, right?
1: I, I didn't have college. I had
0: you know a couple couple semesters. Your poetry must have really been something powerful to walk in a, a newsroom with no degree, no writing clips, and you've got the best writing you've done in poetry. That's pretty bold.
1: Yep, it was OJT. I mean, they taught me. You know, they would edit hard, and you know, and then within six months, nine months, I mean. I was laying out pages and covering beats and covering breaking news. And then uh, two and a half years later, I was at UPI, the Philly Bureau, you know, covering major events all over the Delaware Valley, Jersey, Pennsylvania, Northern Delaware, Maryland. So the writing thing was there. And this is what folks have told me. They just had had to put it in journalism form.
0: I love that. Well, we got to pause for just a minute, Glenn. We're at the halfway mark already. I want to thank you for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett and to our guest, Glenn Proctor. I know you have many podcast choices, and I'm grateful that you chose to listen to mine. Well, Glenn, you had a great career as a journalist, and I'm so blessed and honored that I got to be there for a few years and be a buddy on the business desk at the Beacon Journal. I had no idea what I was doing, and you were just so kind and a great mentor. I love, though, that you shifted from journalism. You had a great career for decades. And then you got into like a whole new life that you've created. I want to shift into your suicide prevention work and how you were inspired to start that, to get into that type of field.
1: Well, shortly after I got off active duty, my, uh, my grandfather, I was in the next room when he took his life, I heard the shot. And that was before I became a journalist and kind of throughout my, the rest of my journalism career and part of my reserve career as a as a Marine. You know, I kind of put the suicide thing in a box, but then once I retired, I got in touch. well, they got in touch with me, Mental Health America of Central Carolinas, which is a major agency here in Charlotte and they talked about their programs and all and taking the suicide prevention courses and and so I did, and I ended up taking four or five courses through the agency plus some additional work and um started training veterans, and that was kind of a national, I mean, a natural extension, because right after I retired, I became a life coach, and so that was kind of a continuation of, uh, of that coaching work, but just more focused on mental health and suicide prevention. Now, I want to go back uh, to your grandpa.
0: This is the grandpa who raised you, pretty much? Uh, yes. And how old were you when he took his life? Yeah, 23. Okay, but that's still a yeah, young adult. 22 or 23. So what is it like for that family member that that has all the questions of, of why or how or what? I mean, what did, what did you go through immediately after that? I, I guess I want to understand a little bit about that impact for the person like um, you.
1: Well, the why stays with you forever. I mean, and I learned that You know, over time as a trainer and working with some of the families that I've that I've worked with, the why never goes away. You just feel weird and you just try to compartmentalize it as much as possible. But it always stays there. And as I was mentioning, you know, I just finished a grief counseling course due to the University of Wisconsin. And, you know, and we talked about grief extensively. In fact, my focus was suicide grief and uh, I wrote a 30-page paper to complete the course on suicide grief. But yeah, you just continue to grieve, and it goes and comes.
0: Now, you've also combined this with working with veterans. We have such a high rate of veterans who have uh, taken their lives, and I wonder, for you being a Marine uh, and a veteran of Vietnam, uh, do you feel like you have kind of like a I don't know, even a bigger toolbox than the average person because of your own experience with your grandpa, with Vietnam, with uh,
1: yes, childhood. Yes, on my bio, I mean, I talk about I teach and train whether it's women's workshops, whether it's uh-huh. my writing boot camp group, whether it's a mental health first aid training, or whether it's suicide prevention training. It's all lived experience, and that's what I tell my groups immediately. This is who I am. This is who I am.
0: Now, you have a North Carolina-based communications and training uh, organization called Red Job. It's R-E-D-D-J-O-B-B. Yes. Uh, the mission is to provide communications, leadership training, coaching. And the idea of coaching, I mean, this all extends into the, the suicide prevention and grief counseling work. Is that where your heart is mostly, is in the, is in the suicide prevention grief work?
1: No. I mean, I, I like all of it. Whether it's life coaching, and I mean, you know, I've done with couples, relationships, across the board, I don't really pick one uh, more so than the other.
0: Well, I love that you've taken all your experiences, and I don't even want to call them good or bad, because every experience can be a good experience, depending how you use it to help others. But you collect them all, and you have five books out, you've got a, a sixth one coming out, right?
1: Yes, my writing boot camp group. Okay, so the book on the pandemic. You
0: have one book called "Kicking Bottles: News and Dust," an autobiography. And on your website, you you address addiction, love, truth, failure, laughter, disappointment, the death of friends, and through it all, the good brother upstairs was always with me. What was it like to write that first book to collect all of Glenn Proctor?
1: It was a long time coming, and I wanted to do it, but again, I did all this stuff after I retired. I mean, because the focal point was being a good journalist and being a good editor, and then once I retired, I could really focus on on putting my books out, because I had scraps and bits, and you as an author understand this, you know, I had scraps and bits for years, and all I had to do was kind of collate them and put them together.
0: Yeah, I have the same thing. I write on napkins, envelopes, piles of ideas, and some of the best stuff is on some little scrap that I wrote five different ways, upside down, sideways, and you have to decipher them. It's a little tough. Glenn, I'm going to talk about some of your life lessons. One, accept your life story, good or not, and move to better thinking and greater things, or remain in first gear. I love that idea of like, you know, it's up to you to, to kind of shift the gears on your life.
1: Yeah. The title, one of my next books that's not, that's kind of in in progress is Carry Your Own Water. And it's, it's kind of a management leadership book you know teams are essential but you as the individual team member have got to carry your own weight and so there are going to be a lot of life lessons in that because uh, you know that's interesting a bunch of our journalism colleagues have for years especially those in well some of the people I taught at Northwestern as well as um some of the mentees that I've had said, you got to write a management book. You got to write a management <laughs> book. So this, is, this is kind of the, the culmination of, of that. But I pick Carry Your Own Water as, uh, as the theme because you have, to, you have to know self and get self before you can help others. I mean, that's one thing I learned as a coach. And that goes for both, you know, whether it's nonprofits, whether it's corporate, any scenario you have to carry your own water.
0: I like that. It's such a great image. I think of when I hiked in the Grand Canyon years ago and you literally have to carry your own water down there. And there are signs everywhere. Getting in is optional. Getting out is not. So don't go past your water supply. And you know, that's a small thing. I'm sure as a Marine, you learned a lot of great survival tips, but this is a pretty basic one that everybody should kind of have burned into them.
1: Yeah. I mean, we have to, you know, but, but, The first part of that is believe and love the face in the mirror. Mm, Yeah. Believe and love the face in the mirror, because, you know, if you if you have these scenarios about yourself, you're never going to be true to yourself. And if you're not true to yourself, are you really true to others?
0: That's a good one. Another one you have never say I wish say I did die with no regrets.
1: Where did that one come from? A poem that I wrote, and that's the last, you know, the last stanza of of this poem. And it's, it's go with no regrets, you know, because how many people do we know that, you know, Oh, I wish I did this. I wish I did that. I wish I did this. I wish I did that. And all of us who've been in corporate media you know, you can stay there all your life or you can diverge either after retirement or beforehand like we did mm-hmm. and do something else or you can stay there and be kind of sad when you get to a certain age. And I wish I did. and so don't wish, do it.
0: Do it, I love that, don't wish, do it. Another one you have, if you think the mountain is too high, then it is. Don't it be is. upset when others climb over you. Over okay, you. that's a yes. good one,
1: wow. Yes. That's, that's part of my tag on my email because, you know, do the work and you won't have to complain when somebody else gets the promotion and you don't or, you know, or somebody else gets the contract and you don't. Right. If you're doing the work, you're in the hunt. But if you're not doing the work, yes, the others are going to climb over you.
0: Another one you have is the thing to remember about the curves, turns, stops and starts of life. Is that you're doing the you're driving. You're
1: doing the driving. Yes.
0: Yeah, I love it because really you can't control the road and where it bends and how it goes. But you're right. You're the one behind the wheel. You
1: know? Yep, And that's that's the life lesson. That's, that's the eternal life lesson. You know, you're it. Yeah. You're it. And, you know, yes. Are you going to need support? Yes. Are you going to need help? Yes. Are you going to need a boost? Yes. All of us need a boost but we all have to put in the work.
0: Yeah. And the last one I that I really like, everyone has made and will make mistakes. How we bounce back is what counts and what sets us apart. Sets us apart. And I, I love that idea that we're all going to fall and we're all going to make mistakes, but the getting up, how soon you get up, what you do after you get up is what matters. I think we're so afraid of making a mistake. We A lot of us avoid doing anything. We avoid writing the book or going for the job interview or changing our lives.
1: Yep. Well, part of part not part of that one, but part of that same scenario is when you fall, don't get up, jump up. Ooh,
0: I like that. That's even better.
1: (laughs) Jump up. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't get up. Jump up.
0: Well, we're almost out of time here. You know what I love, Glenn, is that you can look at your life and say you had a hard life, but you did hard. You did it. You did it. The hard part of it as a child, as a marine, even in the trenches of journalism. And all of that gave you these experiences that you've now turned into kind of your gift for others. You know, you're passing it along. What part of your life now do you like the best of what you're doing? What What brings you joy every morning?
1: Just that, the coaching and teaching. I mean, you know, I still mentor and coach dozens of journalists. I mean, you know, those are still in the business. Some folks at USA Today, some folks at Newsday, some folks at, at, you know, major publications that we know, and they still call me. They're like, okay, what do you think? So uh, I'm indirectly still kind of in the business, uh, but, you know, away from enough that, you know, that's good.
0: Well, it's like you're in the sage part of life. You become sort of the, the wise person based on all of that life experience that people want what you have.
1: Just blessed, just blessed. That's a great way just to do it. Just blessed, you know, that, uh, you know, that the good brother has kept my crazy butt around for all these years. <laughs> well,
0: I'm glad the good brother has. I want to thank all of you for listening today. And Glenn, tell us the best way to connect with you on your website and tell us the names of the books too.
1: The names of the books, of course, you would ask me that. I, uh, can,
0: I can have those on my website. I'm not, I don't put you under the spot spotlight here, but your website, <laughs> best way to reach you.
1: Uh, is uh, www.redjob.com. And my email is glenn at redjob, dot com And for those who like the telephone, it's 804 678 8570. You can call me, but I do prefer email because strange numbers I don't necessarily <laughs> respond to. You know, anybody in crisis, anybody wants to talk, Let's let's do so, uh, because I believe everybody has a place and everybody can achieve to their own level, whatever their own level of success is. But I also believe that everybody is capable of far more than they think they are. That's beautiful.
0: Well, Glenn, my biggest takeaway today is no matter what the path in front of you, you're the one driving. So (laughs) I remember that I want to close with your answer to this question. I ask all my guests, what is the best thing you do for yourself every day to create a life you love out of the life you have?
1: Talk to myself, listen to music, write, exercise, and just um, give thanks. One thing that I've started sending to all my folks is grace, gratitude, and grit. Always think grace, gratitude, and grit because all of us are fourth G grieving right now.
0: That's beautiful. Glenn, thank you so much for your time today. God bless. Thank you. Thanks for listening to little detours with Regina Brett. If you want to know more about today's guest and topic, head to my podcast page at reginabrett.com. There you can also subscribe to my email newsletter. So you never miss an opportunity to be inspired for more episodes You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review my show so we can reach and inspire even more people. Thanks for joining us today. Now go make something possible.